Before I do the normal entrance on the show, we have to say a huge congratulations to Ruby Riot. Uh, first and foremost, thank you. Thank you, Lars. Uh, and thank you to all the fans who reached out to us, commented on our YouTube uh, interview with her. Twitter, Instagram, everybody who was excited as we were, who was part of the interview, who was part of that moment with Ruby Soho. We want to take a second before we do this interview. And I'm sorry, Effie, we're cutting into your time, but we just had to, we just had to knock this out first and foremost. Thank you, everybody. What a phenomenal moment. Lars, thank you for, for everything you did to make her debut what it was. Uh, you know, it was her debut. I was just a, a, a small player in a larger picture. So, you know, I'm totally humbled by the experience. I'm, I'm you know, I, I always dreamed to have music for a wrestler. I just never imagined it would be for her in this in this modern golden age, you know. So I'm pretty over the moon. Everybody in the band is super psyched. Everybody's tuning in to see what happens. So it's pretty cool. You know, it's cool. It's cool. Mostly cool for her because I think now she's getting something, you know, that she's been deserving for a long time. Yeah. And the hundreds of messages and emails, literally hundreds. Uh, yes, she will be back on. We are waiting a little bit. We want her to get comfortable. We want her to have a story to tell us, but she will come back on. But until then, you're watching the only wrestling podcast on earth with one two-time X Division champion, the man behind the man behind the man, my best friend and yours, Petey Williams. How's she going, eh? And not even a fucking hurricane can stop this guy. <laughs> That's right. Just, listen, he said F you to a hurricane, drove straight through it, shook his balls at it and said, you can't stop me. That's from Rancid, Lars Fredrickson. Hurricane survival. That's right. Just that's my that's my thing. He punk rocked his way through it. That's the most punk. But by the way, we won't even tell the story. But the story. You know what I did? I did. I fucking whipped out my cock and used it as a sail. All right. Yeah, that's all you gotta say. <laughs> he tied a cardigan onto it and just cross. <laughs> I mean, I, I got a strong Danish penis, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Ruby, thanks for watching. Anyway, so. It, uh. I am excited about this week's guest, Lars. You hooked this thing up. This is a guy I cannot wait to talk to. F.A., you've been on GCW. You have your big gay brunch. So much more stuff. Thank you so much for sitting down and talking with us tonight. Yo, yeah, I've been sitting here a little quiet, but I've got plenty to say. I got to say, this this past weekend was uh, insane. You know, to PD, I say I had seven matches in five days. Jeez. Pretty long matches, one of them being a war games match, which being GCW, we decided to include some ultra violence, some glass, some barbed wire, things like that. So, you know, I'm two days uh, out, I guess, from the last show, but the last show was my show, The Big Gay Brunch. And I main evented with Jake Alice and that guy, you know, you'd think going in and working on a, a nice television corporate company you'd hit a little lighter but man that was some strong style prove yourself stuff between two gay dudes just just wrestling man well that that's a great intro here because i do want to touch a little bit on the lgbtq community and my I, the only two real questions about sexuality that I have, and I want to knock them out super quick so we can get on with the wrestling is the landscape of wrestling has changed from five years ago where I, I think I can comfortably say five, seven years ago, wrestling fans were very homophobic maybe. And now we've seen this pendulum switch, uh, I guess, swift through where it's widely accepted. Thank God I have a daughter who is part of the community and I support her a hundred percent. I, and I, I've, I've seen a lot of your interviews, and I don't think I've ever seen you talk about when, how, where the the winds of change kind of blew through. When did you start seeing them? And do you remember the first time you were fully accepted by a crowd? I know it's a lot to unpack there. No, no, no. It really isn't because when I sort of came to wrestling, I was I was coming to terms with my own sexuality. And throughout my college time, you know, I was figuring out who I was, but it was I, I had to kind of get sober after that fact in the real world, working adult jobs, living on my own for the first time. I began wrestling training the same time I was out to sort of everyone in my life. And I was working in these Southern towns and 
Southern Georgia and North Florida and Alabama and Louisiana. And so I was going in almost therapeutically and sort of lashing back out at the people that would have attacked me. And it was very good at developing a tough skin for myself because you're in front of people who are saying pretty horrible, you know, slurs and terrible things and whatever they can do to get your attention, to get you out of your character, to get you to, you know, break from your match. And you're getting to build this wit and this sort of uh, magic armor of performance where they have to eat their own and eat their words and sort of back off of you. And I would go into these towns and for a few weeks, I would be this, you know, dastardly heel and I would lean into it and I would be a bad guy. And, you know, they're seeing me do stuff that is a little subversive or, you know, a little sexual. Uh, but then over time, they're sort of saying like, well, he's a pretty good wrestler, actually, and he's pretty entertaining. And I, I sort of describe it distilled into this little story of like, a dad had to come up to me and I'm pretty sure he was wearing like camo and overalls and a big hunting hat. And his kid wanted one of my necklaces, which at the time, like I'm a merchandise guy in wrestling. That's a lot of the income of what I make in when I'm in a room or when I'm online. And I had these little necklaces and his son wanted a necklace. That's the only thing he wanted from any of the wrestlers, not a picture, not a t-shirt. And seeing him sort of hand me that crumpled $10 bill because there was no other option. Like, by admitting they love wrestling and admitting they like good wrestling and then being put in front of me, I was sort of making them confront it. And you see these baby face crowds form wrestling fans. I feel like they're very open to anything that walks through the curtain, as long as it continues to entertain them or meet a certain criteria. And to see that in the most red places of where I'd kind of grown up and been around all my life, I was seeing that change happen quickly. And it was like, Hey, if we present this in a certain way to people, even if they think they're stuck in their beliefs, that is maybe a little more whimsical or fun or lighthearted, that still at its core is, you know, informing them about things they may not have had any information about, it, it shifted rather quickly. And now, like, I mean, you see, I just, I had my own show in Chicago, Illinois, where I'm not from, uh, where I sold, you know, 600 something tickets and sold a lot of streams and had a ton of LGBTQ wrestlers. When people are presented this, it seems, you know, through my research that they jump on it quick and it's it's happened rapidly and it's awesome. So I, I want to go back to, uh, you know, you selling like the 600 tickets and stuff like that. You, you know, you got this uh, event, uh, you know, the, the gig, big gay brunch. OK, so hey, I want to know, like how you came up with that. Is there like I, I haven't seen it, you know, I mean, there's a lot of wrestling out there and stuff. Oh, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I mean, 100 million hours. We'll, yeah, we'll never right? we'll never run out, my man. <laughs> I'll get to it eventually. But like, how'd you come up with that idea? Like, I mean, was it more like, uh, oh, this is a like a catchy title. People will come to this or like, is there like certain I don't know, uh, like things that you do at the show that's like different than other shows? Or is it just like, hey, man, this is gonna be an awesome wrestling show that you're going to watch? Yeah. And I I think when I first thought of the concept, you know, Joey Janela had done his spring break event with GCW yeah. and I was in the first spring break and there was sort of an atmosphere in there that I was like, there's sort of us poking fun at the fourth wall and tropism of wrestling in a sense, but it is still providing good wrestling and entertaining moments. And when I think about the gay culture that's been represented up until this point in wrestling, we've had a lot of good things, but they come with almost a sense of like reverence and, you know, flower holding and ceremony of look at the gays did it. Here they are, put them on the platform. And when I think of like what gay culture is, is most excited for and, and most known for and the most fun parts of it, it's like a drag queen brunch on a Sunday where you're a little too tipsy and she's dancing on the tables and the food is, you know, being served crazy. And for some reason there's peak big shrimp out of the cocktails and there's more of a spirit of, uh, yeah, we're all gay here. We can be extremely gay here. And we're a little too weird for everyone else. I wanted that to sort of come into the wrestling world. So in these events, I'm able to book weird ways, like putting, you know, Pero, who's in the NWA now, putting him in things yep. like a twink gauntlet, where you're going, <laughs> well, what's a twink? Well, a, tw a twink is, you know, these young kind of feminized, tight bodied young men in the gay community. And the idea that it started with was, well, how many twinks would it take to kill a giant muscle bear like Pero? Yeah. And you get to find that out while watching an incredible gauntlet match where he gets to also highlight and put over a ton of talent from our community. 
the weirdness and party of that and the celebration of self more than, you know, having a silent moment for how far we've come and instead making that moment about let's be even louder about it and let's be even more vibrant and have more gay action and dress up even bigger. It's really exciting to see that sort of uh, that attitude being embraced, not just by our community, but by like wrestling in, in general. There were a lot of varied fans there Sunday. You know, I mean, one of the things I wanted to ask you is because any kind of like feminine character over the years in wrestling, whether it be Adrian Adonis, you know, playing with that or uh, shit, what's his goddamn name? Uh, what's that? No, no, fucking pigtails makeup. Had the Lenny belt. Lane? Lenny Lane? Adrian Street. Thank you. Oh, uh, I thought you were talking about. <laughs> yeah, adorable Adrian Street. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you, you've had these characters in wrestling. Now, were you, did you see these guys? And, uh, you know, were there, were there, was it something that, that you could relate to? I mean, that's one part of the question. The second part of the question is, I'm from San Francisco, so all the, you know, and I live from the Bay Area, so I've seen all this crazy shit before. But the second part of the question is, is how much of the Rocky Horror Picture Show do you take into the big gay brunch? Uh, definitely a lot. And I think there's a participation aspect in the Rocky Horror Picture Show that we love. And taking all of those little bits of, of queer, weird culture and bringing them in. You know, I'm doing my best right now to get John Waters convinced enough to show up and at least yell into a microphone for 10 minutes and continue to kind of expand our fingers out and show wrestling to an audience that, like, has enjoyed all these other queer things and all these other kind of weird bits of entertainment and bring them into wrestling. Like I've kind of put it as we're not really trying to take fans from the WWE. We're trying to show fans from our world that they may enjoy some aspects of wrestling. Um, first part of that question, hit me with a little bit of that again. I want to make sure I hit the right points on this. Guys like, a, a, you know, Adrian. Oh Adon, yeah. So street, uh, I had a weird interaction with him one time at like, a at one of the reunion events where he was not really pleased to hang out with me. And I understand those guys are a little older now, so maybe he was just feeling busy. But I think Poyo Del Mar, who hosted my show Sunday, who is a drag queen from San Francisco area as well, put it into context as in, you know, we've had these representatives that have supposed to have been members of our community uh, that were portrayed by mostly heterosexual people. And we still took it in and we still took it to culture and, and we still made it a part of our wrestling because we really didn't have anything else to eat. You know, when you're hungry, you eat what you can, when you're thirsty, you drink what you can having that sort of attitude and us now as authentic queer people and real members of the LGBTQ community, we're trying to find the, the new versions of these characters where we are still able to be these sort of uh, pompous assholeish, heelish people. And we can be booed or cheered or, or treated however we are, not just because of our queer identity, but, but also because maybe we are just an asshole. Like maybe you do just boo that guy because he's kind of being a pompous piece of crap and he's too beautiful and he's spraying himself all the time. And it's not because he's emulating something gay. We know he is gay. It's not a concern. It's that he is making a mockery of his opponent and he is not treating this with respect. And I think we can... As long as we are approaching these aspects of ourselves authentically and we're not mimicking something else or drawing attention to what we think are negatives about a, a particular community, it's it's a lot easier to uh, portray authenticity in these extravagant ways. Like just when I go out there and I do some evil stuff, like particularly when I wrestle in Las Vegas for whatever reason, that audience has every time I've been in that room that GCW has done, they've booed me and I have wrestled like a bad person and I've done bad things, but no one in that room is booing me in those matches because I am a gay man. They're booing me because I'm hurting Ricky Morton. They're booing me because they love dark chic and uh, having that trust in our audiences that's building more and more. Now we're able to be much bigger characters and take those risks. This falls in line with my next question. It's one thing I really geek out about in pro wrestling and since, you know, hanging out with PD and learning from him is character development. And 
where does your character grow? Do you feel like sometimes you get put into a box based on who you are and what your sexuality is? And, and, and is it hard to grow or evolve the wrestling character? Cause I read in an interview once where you said you started out as two different people. And now as time goes, the FA char- character is kind of t- entangled with the real life. You. Oh yeah. I mean, dude, I'm like, and this is like not the right word to use, but like, I'm like a machine now. Um, I ran a, a moving company, like moving people's houses and businesses. I did it for almost eight years and I had worked in moving before then. And I had gone to college for public relations. And, you know, I spent a year working for Hootie and the Blowfish as an intern doing all kinds of weird stuff for them. And so when I was in wrestling, I always kind of had this thing in my head that was like, Hey, like, this is not necessarily your world. Like you're from this other world or when you're working during the week, you need to be these things. And now as I operate as Effie, I operate as both that business person and I honor, you know, the parts of me that are completely trained to do this and, and know business stuff top to bottom and know how to market and know how to brand and know how to merchandise. I accept that I am good at those things while also being like an, an insano character who is doing crazy stuff i don't being me and being tailored during the week and and running my business and doing streams and shipping and all of these things that come with it there's no shame that i have you know classic training in these things all of those things were a part of my story and now as i have blended into them the hustle and the drive and the uh the ability to want to work constantly towards being better and doing more it's all a part of what Effie is now. And I think it like, it kind of shows in all aspects of like, when people talk about me, yeah, they may say he's a gay wrestler, but like, that's such a surface look. And I love when people have that aspect because once they look deeper and once they start researching, which I think I'm going to get their attention in some way with as many ways as I'm sinking my fingers in, once they get in there and they start to get into the detail and the story and what we are doing, it becomes so much more rewarding to find out that like, I'm not going to leave you right on the surface. Like, yeah, I just grabbed a guy's nipples and turned it into a suplex, (laughs) but also the money we raised from selling breakfast, you know, Sunday morning went to a black trans charity in Chicago. And we were able to make even more donations with parts of the ticket sales too. There's such a dense level to how far we've been able to take sort of the reach of what an indie should be able to do with some of this stuff. And I like rewarding the fans who are there and want to go as far as possible with it. Yeah. So you just mentioned like, you know, with the quotes, like indies, because I mean, what is an indie now? Like uh, going back to GCW, right? I mean, you guys, um, I- I'm really watching more and more GCW now, now that, you know, on fight TV and stuff like that. And it's really, I'm really like turned on to it. I guess it was kind of like in the back before. And now I'm like, Hey, I got to catch out. I got to catch all these shows. So you guys are growing big with GCW. Do you guys are, do you guys feel that? And like, are you guys like, Hey man, uh, are you at that level now where you're like, we better start signing guys to contracts kind of like, you know, how AEW impact and all like ring of honor does. Are, are you guys there yet? Um, I don't think so. And I think there is, there's a, an honest conversation about sort of the health of GCW is reflective of the health of the scene and how the scene has grown because when we've been able to take the show on the road and go to Houston, Texas, we've teamed with Loco Wrestling, which is a, a, an independent there, and been able to help them get their guys more exposure, help them put more tickets in their seats. When we go to you know places in Las Vegas, we're teaming with Future Stars of Wrestling, and we're able to bring our guys in on their shows and get that travel reduced for them and get more eyes on the product while also bringing some of them their guys in to help us out too. It's there's this give and take that GCW has benefited severely from, but it's also boosted the scene a lot and put a lot more eyes on things. Um, I know now, like this isn't a GCW thing, but especially with the way my Twitch audience has been like, I run a show 8 PM against Vince every Monday night on Twitch. I don't do numbers like Vince, but we get, we get pretty close on, uh, on excitement levels, I would say. And the most exciting thing about sort of being able to go back to shows now is People are saying, I've been watching you on Twitch the last year or two. 
I'm able to come to this show now. I found out about all these wrestlers because of you. And now we're seeing guys who are making debuts on GCW or spending time on shows GCW is producing with people like me or Alley Cat or AJ Gray that highlight, hey, here's women talents that we want to highlight. Here, here are people from the African-American community we want to highlight. Having all those uh, sort of extra hands to highlight it seems like more of those people end up getting booked and it makes such a, a more diverse scene. It makes people more excited. GCW has a really strong reach, but that reach is going to other places too. You know, they're saying, Hey, I saw you for the first time in GCW, but we saw you were coming to our local ND too. And we realized that when our guys and girls are out there working the scene, putting in the reps, uh, you know, getting out to shows that, you know, are, are growing a little bit, it's helping everybody along the way. I, you know, that's the best way to put it. You know, I mean, I've been watching GCW for some time now. We, you know, obviously you both know Kevin Gill. He's an old friend of mine. Yes. What up, Doug KG? Yeah, we got to get him on here, first of all. But, and, and, I, and I, and I thank him for, uh, you know, I must, I must publicly thank him for connecting us. So, um, but one of the things I see GCW doing there, they remind me of like a punk rock band. It's basically, and it, it's not so far-fetched to me that they'd be so accepting of sexuality, color, uh, race, creed, and uh, religion, because that's what punk rock is. I mean, it's, it's all accepting. If you're the misfit, you come right in. And that's kind of what I see GCW, and that's what they kind of put out there. And I think that's what's attractive to so many people. One of the things that I wanted to, to ask you is, I've seen you put your body on the fucking line with some, some gnarly motherfuckers. Now, was the deathmatch thing something that you were like, uh, sort of, uh, how would I say, trepidatious to, uh, to do? Or was it something that you were just like, fuck, this just could be another part of my, 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 my art or whatever? Because I, I, I see deathmatch wrestling as wrestling. It's just another form. It's, it's kind of like, you know, blast beats and punk rock. It's just, it's a gnarlier version of this. It still tells a fucking story. There's still emotion. There's still drama. There's still psychology. It just happened. You know, you have light tubes and tacks. And I saw you fucking take that bump on the tacks at the board. And I, I mean, dude, I, I got up and I couldn't walk. I was like, fuck. So what, what is your, what, I mean, tell me about the death match thing. How did that all turn about? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to rewind a little bit kind of on the GCW thing. Cause I think, I think what's really fascinating about, us in the locker room and management per se is we really have a fire under our ass and that fire sort of translates, I think, into this really positive locker room where we're all looking at each other, challenging each other, saying, are you going to step up, motherfucker? Are you going to be able to get to that next level? I mean, there are times when you're walking in a locker room and Nick Gage is going, you know, are you fired up enough? You know, you can't bring no bullshit tonight. You can't go out there and give them half ass shit. The people came, came to see a show. The people want to see it on that level. And there are nights where I'm booked in GCW to do things that are extremely silly and fun and easy and exciting. And then there are nights where I'm walking into the same venues and walking into the same places where, like you said, I'm diving into tack boards. I'm falling into glass. I'm, you know, slamming my head against stuff. And having that support in the locker room and having that understanding from the people there to go, we want the best thing possible. We want to execute whatever kind of wrestling we're doing, including deathmatch wrestling at the most professional, entertaining level possible. I've been lucky in my foray into deathmatch where the deathmatch guys have been really impressed by me and in the other wrestling that I do. And they wanted me to kind of be a part of the scene. And I've always been fascinated by it. It's, it's exciting. I kind of joked during COVID. I joked during COVID that like there was a lot of deathmatch going on across the country during COVID as safely as possible. I mean, it is what it is. And I said, you know, if, if deathmatch wrestling was any more over, the government would shut us down because they would see us in this room with glass everywhere and crazy panes of glass exploding and people getting stuck with barbed wire and weed whackers and fire. I mean, I fought Paro in Orlando, Florida, and I fell off of the stage of the sound bar through a pane of glass and a door and a bunch of chairs while it was on fire, covered in lighter fluid, soaked up. This is insano adrenaline rush experience junky stuff that can just be silly stunt jackass work. But when you pair it with that story, like you said, 
everything is is just a bit to the story and when you add these elements of danger and and the death being you know very imminent you're next to a lot of glass and people go oh, they, they know it's just surface cuts and it's this and this and it's like the death comes in sort of the inertia of the whole thing of there is a chance you know there's an odds there that something is there and you're going i know these guys are trained but how can you really be trained to do this and especially after being in that war games match this weekend with some of the best deathmatch guys around right now uh there there's a way to do it and there's a way to do it where it still hurts I am still sore. My tongue hurts so fucking bad right now, guys. I did, you know, I had Eddie only put cigarettes out on it. Yeah, but but Ricky Shane Page broke light tubes off in my mouth yeah. and I spit them back in his face. But at one point in the match, you're you're wrestling. So your mouth gets a little dry. There's a lot of stuff going on. You're not yeah. trying to inhale stuff. He said, my mouth feels especially dry. And I hocked out. I mean, what must have been a piece of glass about that big from the back of my throat and had to continue having this match and continue being a part of it. The risk is literally always right there. There's so many ways things can go wrong, but the respect we get back from that community, you know, the passion you see from the fans, um, it seems to be growing. And Dave Meltzer even made his way to the show to see the war games match. He, he was excited to see the finish of this uh, Nick Gage and Ricky Shane page story. That's been going on damn near two years. Um, and it was wild to have a reception to that kind of crazy thing. And GCW has worked up to that. And they put in a lot of boot work to make deathmatch wrestling cool and valid again in this world. You're, you're a sober guy. Do you feel like you've replaced uh, drugs and alcohol with deathmatch wrestling? <laughs> I, w- I will say this. I, uh, I smoke a lot of weed now. I say I'm a teetotaler because booze was like the the problem of my life man booze was the one that like it puts me completely out of control and i think like between being add and a little bit of a control freak when i would lose control of myself that's the only time i would really be frustrated by my actions or really be frustrated by how i was feeling in the days following and now like yeah i mean i have to admit it when i uh i was fighting ricky morton in las vegas a few weeks ago which is a crazy sentence of the rock and roll express and my mom called me because she saw I had blonde hair. And the last time I had blonde hair, I guess I was a little bit more chaotic, which a little bit more chaotic than now. People are like, that must have been crazy. It was because my mom calls me and goes, do I need to be concerned? And I was like, <laughs> about what? And she was like, the last time you dyed your hair blonde, you were not in a good place. And you were not doing good things and you were a lot to deal with. And we're glad you're still here. And I was like, mom, I'm good. We're good. We're on the path, you know. My focus is in making sure that I am healthy, I am good, I feel comfortable, but that also I'm not coming in and uh, not taking necessary risks for the entertainment because there's a lot of times, I've been saying Effie is fine for like three months. Effie is fine. And people, when you say that, think you're not. And there were a few times this weekend where people were like, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? I mean, I'm in the middle of all of these crazy matches. And I said, I'm going to have to start charging a fine because clearly nobody is believing anything I'm saying. I am fine when I'm doing this crazy violent stuff. I mean, Petey, you know, we take calculated measured risks. I've seen you do insane stuff. You know, the worst injuries in a lot of guys' careers come from really simple accidents or even working out or training at, you know, tweaking your knee while turning and hitting the ropes is just as likely as if I head dive off this ladder, I might hurt myself. There are ways that we can do this that mitigate that risk a little bit. And that's where the magic trick lies is people going, I really thought he was dead. I thought you were done for, I thought it was over. And if for one second, you can genuinely believe that to the point where you're really concerned for me, fantastic. I think you're going to buy another ticket, but also you've got to trust me as a professional. When I say I am good. <laughs> well, you're good, but, um, so mentally you, that is, yeah. Um, you look at, you're doing such great things on your own right now, right? Being a, you know, independent contractor, doing all your own stuff, making, you know, I'd say probably pretty good money, you know, with your merch and all that kind of stuff. Have you thought like, Hey man, you know, now would be a great time. You know, like your name's out there. Everything's going good. You know, you got like that, that upswing, like, Hey, maybe I'll sign a contract. Maybe I'll reach out to like an AEW or, you know, an impact WWE, whatever, and be like, you know what? I'm going to, you know, just 
work there? Be exclusive. Um, so I, any way I answer this, the people always take it as me, like being like, uh, thinking I'm being negative and I'm not, but oh. I, I got into wrestling after doing a lot of acid and kind of thinking John Cena might not be real and green screens control the world. And I had to sort of scratch my own itch. It's a really long story. It's, there's an itch there. And okay. like you said, PD, I do make more money now. I'm doing well now. You know, leaving my job was the scariest thing I ever did, but I literally could not walk back into that office and work for anyone else. And I'm finding out that like when my hustle mode is turned towards me and when I am free to explore all of these wild ideas, I can kind of kill it and I have the experience to do it. And I, I, I'm not going to name drop and I won't because it, it doesn't help anyone, but I was talking to a, a, a WWE Hall of Famer the other day, not Ricky Morton, what a legend he is, but a different guy. And, you know, he sort of said, hey, I was talking to, to some people. They say, you're really getting over this. So you're getting some reactions, you know, just keep working and, and the right people have eyes on you. And I'm sort of in this weird position where like I did a Twitch show the other day and I watched weird wrestling and strange matches and LGBTQ people. And yeah, Twitch put me on the front page, but it's because I have a really good retention rate with my audiences and new people coming in want to stay with me. And I explain wrestling in a way that is palatable to people. And NXT did something like 680,000 views on that night on their show. And I did 260,000 views on my show on the front page of Twitch. A lot of those people watching for at least half of that time or more, which is like kind of insane in the streaming days. I can't, I can't not scratch that itch further. And I like, I have some tricks up my sleeves that are coming, but I have to kind of prove a point to myself that there is the possibility of hitting a mainstream level of understanding and knowledge and bringing wrestling to people that wouldn't have seen it without ever touching cable TV, because I think it's on its last legs. And I think if I prove this and I get to that level where I am, a household name. And it's not something where I'm craving fame. It's just like an itch of like, is it a thing about wrestling or is it a thing about TV that led to these people getting there? And I always think it's just a question of distribution. If you look up a John Cena match, for instance, it's pretty easy because he has incredible distribution and they made it very easy to find his matches, but it's just as easy to find Effie matches or PD Williams matches. If you have the knowledge enough of a hook to bring you in to know what that thing is and as things like twitch grow and things like tiktok grow and my twitter reach grows and wrestling grows and we are able to reach people to buy tickets and stream our shows and buy our pay-per-views more than ever i just i have to see that it's not necessary to ever need that elbow rub of a tv company to get to that level and like we had 1500 tickets sold to the show Saturday night in uh, in Chicagoland area in Hoffman Estates. And yeah, it's running the same time as AEW. It's, uh, it's not the same time, but the same weekend as AEW. So we do have a little runoff of that. We are running shows that are next to Tampa that are, uh, you know, around the WrestleMania time. But then we're showing up to Los Angeles and we're pushing people away at the door and we're turning people away from these bigger venues more and more and more. During COVID at the showboat in Atlantic City, I mean, that hotel could not have gotten rid of us quicker. We're bloody deathmatch guys. We can only sell 100 tickets in a 1500 cap room. And now we're selling it out and they're putting us up on all the screens in the hotel like we're a main featured attraction. People are speaking with their dollar because we're able to reach them. And I want to see that growth continue. I think I think I would be a great fit on salary two days a week to help you out with real PR, the kind of PR that isn't setting up a fun charity fundraiser, the kind of PR that gets in front of the problems that you're going to have down the line, the kind of PR that works with a very smart fan base, the kind of PR that thinks ahead of itself rather than booking two weeks out. But as Effie, as that performance, as that character, when I poke that bubble and when I have to scratch that itch, and when I have to make sure things are done right, I think the best chance for me is to just force their hand by doing so well that they have to take some of my tactics. I think that's where I really went in the end. But, you know, and I think having to be under a contract is, and I hate P 
Pete, and this isn't a knock on you, but I think that's old man wrestler way of thinking where back in the day there was one, maybe two companies, and you were not making a living on the indies. And in order to live your dream, you had to have the contract to keep going. But in today's wrestling, you can make a living being a well-booked indie talent. You can make a living being the top star on GCW. And I don't know if being a con I, everybody wants to be at the well top. okay but dennis i'm gonna cut you off here i'm gonna cut you off wait, and i'm gonna wait. speak completely against myself uh, i'm gonna speak completely uh, anti what i just said because it is something that i discuss with guys who come to me and go how do you do this how do you do this what i do is draining like I, because of me and because of my hunger like i dropped not to steal a shout out but i dropped a a whole nother version of the wrestling is gay line which is my clothing line. We've raised $5,000 so far for uh, an LGBTQ charity in Atlanta. I've been able to sponsor shows. Yeah, Lars. Yeah, sorry. So the wrestling is gay t-shirts, they're all charitable. So yeah, well, here's the thing. I take a little bit of the money, but I give a lot of that money to charity. I've also sponsored a lot of shows. Now, the weakness I found in wrestling is gay was that I was doing everything. I was shipping all these orders and I thought it would be my typical short order, 100 or so, 150. And when I had as many orders as I had, I got overwhelmed and I'm doing shows all the time. I'm taking things on. My hustle level is at an all time high, but not everyone is going to achieve that. When you take that contract, you have guaranteed money every week. You have food on the table every week. You are doing wrestling that is guaranteed. And for a lot of guys, that is the best thing that they're going to do because a lot of guys come to me and say, I just want to wrestle. I just want to be a professional wrestler and do that. I don't want to rely on having to stand out there and talk to every person in the building. I don't want to have to rely on doing cameo messages, you know, during the whole week. And that's such a valid thing that you have to present it objectively that now there is so much more creative input that wrestlers are getting to put into it. When for a long time, it was just like, Hey, they're going to tell me what to do. I'm proficient at wrestling. I'll put on the costume. Tell me where to stand. I'm glad I got on TV this week. And now it's, Hey, we saw you doing this thing and we want to highlight what you're doing. There's more of that happening. And as that comes, I think more guys will sign down to places because it is rewarding to be told that like, not only are you good at this wrestling thing, but your ideas have merit as well. And so I think, I think there's room for both. I'm just, I think I'm crazy. I have that itch. I don't know what it is. Well, I guess, you know, one of the things I started thinking as you've been talking and it's, it's like where you fit is the only place that I can see it is right where you're at. So, you know, to what these guys were talking about, as far as like signing a big contract to a company, like, I can see you in every one of them, except for one, you know, the one that would make you a straight man in a business suit. You know what I mean? And well, I can't go to Saudi Arabia, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It's, it's like, I, I feel like with the creative freedom now that we have in wrestling with the overall acceptance, with, with people dying for something new. And that's why guys like you are successful and guys like Nick Gage are successful or John Moxley or whoever it may be, they're successful because there's that element that made them that made them on the indie scene. That now people are actually getting to see. It's not. It's the creative freedom. So, with that being said, like, what's most important to you now? Because I mean, now you've kind of like transcended into this artist kind of thing. You're doing so much, so much creative stuff. What's more important to you at the end of the day, where you're sitting at right now? Is it the money, which I'm sure is nice? You know, or is it the actual artistry of what you're doing? Because I, I see wrestling as art, right? And I think a lot of us do. So what's what, what, what's your take? Um, I, I've kind of joked that like, you know, every weekend we go out and we write one act stage plays that we immediately perform and then they're filmed and we never perform them again. Every match is its unique art form and every match is its own unique challenge. And getting to kind of go across the country to all these different promotions and working with GCW and working with a lot of different kinds of talents, you're constantly challenged at an artistic level in creating something that keeps you there. You know, I'm, I'm sure you see a lot of things come and go in wrestling as you do in music, as you do in any art form. And to consistently have that stay, the audience has to see that, that growth and that change, but also that challenge. But I think where I'm at now And I have to explain it almost in a selfish way, because 
I want to see the health of our scene out here grow because I want longevity in the independent scene. So now it's it's putting on these shows that are going to put new eyes on talents that are in places across the country and getting to put people in places where their talents are highlighted. And they're not just used as like, well, go do the gay popcorn match or go be the silly match here. Um, and getting to show that we are first and foremost professional wrestlers. You know, the show this weekend that we did, it's all rainbows on the advertisement. It's me. I mean, th the first thing I really need to do is get a little less over so I can take my face off the shows because for people that don't like me, they're looking at this and it's rainbows and sparkles and me with a big smile. And then you watch the show and it is so hard hitting and so intense and down to business professional wrestling. And I want, I want that world to continue to expand where we are building these new stars everywhere that can continue to draw new fans in to have those people saying, this is my first time seeing wrestling. This is my first time seeing gay wrestling. This is my first time seeing a wrestler like me. It's going to help every part of the indie scene. And on top of that, we're going to make sure that if we're in charge of the shows, if I'm in charge of the shows, that you're getting treated to a certain level of comfort. Is it perfect? No. But with our ability to, to sell more tickets and more streams and have more income revenue, we are able to pay our talents and put a sort of precedent on, we do think you're worth this much. We do think you're worth it as a talent. We think it's worth it to pay for your travel. We think it's worth it to give you space to sell your merchandise. We think it's worth it to give you the matches that you would like to have. Rewarding talent gives them that mindset where later they're going to hold other people to the same precedent. And if everyone's held to that precedent, I've got a lot of indies that are easy for me to work, that know I need a hotel room, that don't mind getting me from the airport with a coffee, that pay me fairly, and that follow me when I have ideas that are going to do well for their business. I want to go in that direction. So there's almost an artistry to that as well. That's like, how do we make wrestling not so, how do we keep ourselves from having to suck the teeth to survive? Could we grow our own grains instead of sucking the teat? I want to find out. We're not we're not sharing a pie anymore. You know, like it's not as easy to 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 bake a whole pie. But like I've got so many ingredients. We've got so much flour and berries and sugar and a roller. We can just keep baking pies. It's just going to take some work. Pete. So. Uh, you you mentioned like you know uh you, you watch uh, wrestling when you're on acid and stuff like that and you know now being sober and all that kind of stuff and you're actually in the business you're doing a lot of great things and you know you're, you're killing it out there pretty much do you still tune in like you did maybe not like you did but do you still tune in and be like hey man i want to check out this show like i, I want to watch you know dynamite or i want to watch like you know impact or i want to catch this monday night raw or this pay-per-view do you still uh watch and you know when it comes to wrestling oh yeah i i think a hundred percent and now like getting to see your friends out there you know having that time in your career where you're going i knew that person when they were not that good or when they were not that together or polished or over and seeing them flourish it's like it's incredible and i i like to keep my ears shut and especially even when i hang out with these people's friends or i see them around i don't want to hear anything because there are still times where like as a fan of wrestling and a wrestling fan like how cool was Sunday seeing that many crazy debuts oh, yeah. and thinking of how many dream matches they're going to have. But I also think it like the youth of their roster and like the matches they're going to have. Like I saw Daniel Garcia this weekend, which like I've known Daniel Garcia a couple of years now. Uh, he's, you know, already grown so much. He's, you know, still looks boyish, but he's like become such a mature dude. And I got to just like fist bump him uh, at O'Hare on the way out. And I'm thinking here, like, you know, CM Punk is like requesting a match with this guy. Like he was beating him up last week. Like Daniel Garcia is out there with Darby Allen. He's out there on dynamite. And this is a guy who, no, he doesn't have as many reps as someone who's been in the business for 10 years, but every person he's getting in front of that understands wrestling and likes wrestling is going, there's something authentic about this cat. There's something real about this cat. And when I get to just sit back and watch wrestling now, it's, it's more exciting than ever because there's a closeness, a proximity, but there's still such a grandiosity to what we do. And I am happy to live in the fabe, you know, and I'm happy to live in that world because it still excites me a lot. And I think it still frustrates me a lot too. 
And you always want to go, well, let's let's see who can do the best. And I think there is sort of a run now of, hey, wrestling can be really good. It can be really, really good. And everybody's fighting at that pinnacle. And it's awesome to see because everybody wins. The fans win. Wrestlers win. We get a bunch of good wrestling. We have time for one more question apiece. And I'm listen. All out weekend was just this past weekend. You're starting to see a little GCW leak into AEW. What is the relationship between the two companies like? Um, oh man, do I give the, I don't give the, I'm not going to give the clickbait answer here. Uh, the the, the real got... answer is this. The real answer is this. AEW has been really receptive, uh, you know, working, I think, starting with Janela and, you know, I think Janela at first had to prove himself in there and he was put in a position where, you know, he had to show that he was a real professional wrestler because I think a lot of people want to go with oh, Janela. He's the he's the weirdo who does the yarder matches or does whatever. But the fact is, like, Joey's a really good pro wrestler and I've been in the ring with him and I've spent enough time with him. And I think he's built that trust up now to where he started to pitch these things that are very GCW centric. And you could go, oh, well, he's a mark for pitching his own company. But there is something so raw and authentic and sort of outlaw and outside the bounds of what a television company can do that it makes those guys who've sort of been on TV really excited because if you've only been in that environment, if you've only been in that, uh, Hey, we, we work for TV. This is how we do it. This is the way we do it versus, uh, Hey, here's a dumb idea. And you go, well, fuck it. Try it. Try that dumb idea. I hope it works. And it could be something really exciting. They seem to have a hunger towards the art that we're making and they're allowing us into their world, which is really cool. Like, Nick Gage did death match on TV with Chris Jericho. What an insane sentence to say about someone who, you know, like Nick Gage died doing a death match, was helicoptered out, went to prison for robbery, and is now someone I consider a close friend who like comes to me and helps me and gives me advice and treats me like an equal. I said, Nick, I think we're the king and queen of GCW now. And he said, that's because we're our fucking selves, Effie. And that people sounds respect exactly that like shit. <laughs> yeah, it sounds exactly like him. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, you know, uh, the, the real, like with Nick Gage, you know, I've got to wrestle him before, not in a death match. Um, you know, an awesome guy, I want to say. You know, I, 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 I lie to people and say, like, it was the scariest thing. Oh, yeah. Like, it's... <laughs> but uh, to be in the ring with. But yeah, I, I would work him any day of the week. He's such a great, um, I guess, just call him crowd worker. connection yeah, man yeah yeah and th that's gonna lead me to my next question why like wh what do you think the secret is like you have such a strong connection with the crowd just like you know like a nick gage like there's only like i would say a handful of individuals out there like like yourself like it's rare would it like what's the secret like is there a secret like yeah there there's a secret which i like i almost call it a shortcut and i not everyone is like me and you don't have to be like me and i'm sorry that i take this shortcut but i i remember talking to my mom early in life where i was like mom why do we we attract the weirdos like weirdos just are like magnetized to us and she was like it's because we listen to people genuinely and you should always listen to people genuinely and I find myself since an early age fascinated so much with just, and this sounds so gen generic, human com communication in general and understanding people. I think it's why I wanted to study PR. I think it's why I like wrestling so much because it is, you know, emotional human story, like at a real raw level. Can you, can you show a, a, a whole room of people, a story with just your body and maybe a couple words? There's something magnetic to that where, I really do talk to a lot of the fans. I talk to a lot of the people. I ask people about wrestling. I have a show about wrestling. I listen to what people think about wrestling. If you see me at a GCW show, I'm out at the table all night. I'm walking around the room all night. I'm watching the show all night. If you want to talk to me, you can always talk to me. And I think now people are starting to realize that it's not something I'm doing tact tactically by any means, but it gives you such a read of what is actually going on in the room. And there are so many guys who I see in the back who are trying to put together fights and matches that are very impressive and of high skill and a very, you know, high proficiency, but they haven't ever walked in the room for the night and they haven't talked to anyone at the table tonight and they haven't seen what people are reacting to and they're not watching any other matches. They didn't see how people were in line. They didn't see what shirts they were already wearing. And these things are the cheat code to what you're doing because 
when you're putting together a story that a room is not going to be into when it's Sunday afternoon and you know, everyone's partied for two days and they're as tired as you and you're creating a match that gets them as hype as possible. You have to be able to read people and read a room and understand communication at an emotional level. And that's such a big part of wrestling that like, I think a lot of people, it takes them, it takes them years and years to understand that like the crowd is there to be entertained and they are there to be, uh, in disbelief and in awe, and they are there to follow you and do what you want, but you have to meet them there and you can't wrestle like they're not real people in front of you that are breathing the same air in the same room. It's theater. <laughs> um, I guess my last question, I mean, I got a million more fucking questions. I'm kind of- I can come back later. Don't worry. <laughs> because there's so many things that I wanted to cover and I know that we've covered a lot. I guess, I guess for me, you know, I've seen death matches live, mostly in Japan. And what I've noticed about the American version of it, it seems a little bit more free form. The Japanese are very, you know, sticklers. And you look at a lot of those matches and you can see that it's very calculated in a sense, but it, it's hard to pick up on. But if you've been watching wrestling for a million years, I think, you know, you have a little bit of an edge on that. The free formness of what the death matches in GCW at least that's what I'm getting for. Is that the truth or is, or is there, I mean, is it shit called in the ring? Is it like, you kind of know what weapons are going in there with, or, you know, how is it? I, I think there is a surprising amount of calculation that people don't understand. And like it, I'm a little desensitized to it now, but I remember the first times you're around deathmatch wrestling and you hear some of the group meetings with the guys who build weapons, with the guys who are a part of this, with the guys who are trying to tell these stories there is there is a large part of the American Deathmatch scene that is a, a little different in this regard, but the planning and sort of calculation of how stories building use these items in ways and how destructively safe you can make something that is brutal and barbaric looking. Um, we want these guys to actually survive a death match, contrary to popular belief, but we want that moment where you don't think they will. And it does take a team. Like I, I continue thinking to a match done in, in, in GCW called the glass ceiling match with Jimmy Lloyd and G raver. And the structure built had to hold glass on top of it above a ring that is shifting and moving. And this is not the first thing to happen in the match. And there's a lot more mayhem and destruction that has to happen. And that glass can't move. And the engineering Marvel of them being able to keep it up into the point and the crescendo of this match of them flying through this glass over the top, that's, you know, 10, 15 feet above the ring it's a really cool moment that takes a lot of forethought, but I think there's also a trust in deathmatch where when things get a little rowdy, you sort of have to have a little more bite your teeth and grit and go with it than in a regular match. You know, hey, lighten up, brother, doesn't always work in the deathmatch. And sometimes you go, if I make a scene of this or get mad that this hurts worse than I expected, or he's going a little further than I thought I need to calculate correctly how I'm going to get out of this. Because I think of a guy like David Arquette doing the death match for Nick Gage and you know, you move, you move, you die. And I I've, I've heard that said before uh, guys go through the curtain, you know, there are certain times you need to be perfectly still in these moments for them to work. It will not feel good. You are going to experience pain, but it is not pain that you can't overcome. And it is not a wound that is going to be terrible for you. Uh, but it's much worse if you think it's not going to be bad and move away from it. Um, in Japan, I don't want to go too long on this, but there seems to be a, a, a focus on sort of the struggle in deathmatch. And there's that in all wrestling, but there's sort of, the struggle and the torture and the like the very real aspect of some of these things that are used over there as far as the weapons. And I don't have to get too detailed and the way they stack this up, the way they build to it. And I really, I hope the American deathmatch scene continues to sort of follow in that Japanese trend of doing things that aren't necessarily a million tubes exploding at once, but using these items in a way that are specifically highlighting like something that is absolutely torturable. And like, I hate using myself as an example, but I'm going to use myself as an example. I did my match with G Raver at the Tournament of Survival, and I wore a jumpsuit, sleeveless jumpsuit to start the match, and G Raver put tubes inside of the jumpsuit and is smashing them inside of me and throwing me off the top with them inside of me. And 
You don't get the big explosion of the tubes that way. You don't get the glass everywhere that way. But I stand up and the glass all comes out of my ass. You see all of this glass come out. You see the blood start to pour through the back of this white jumpsuit on me. And then he gets it off me and hangs me up top towards the later part of this match. And I've got wounds all over my back because you know it's just been mashed in. And he dumps the salt and vinegar chips all over it, mashes them all in the wounds, and does a big backbreaker onto me. That is really the kind of pain that people go, oh, that's horrific. It's not the biggest explosion. It's not the craziest thing. But I have built up in the storytelling these moments of deathmatch where, like, at that point, you're going, oh, he's, his back must be hurting and G-Raver's going to jump on him. Oh, wait, that's salt and vinegar. Well, you know, just, just real quick, I watched that match with my nine-year-old, okay? He's a little bit more mature for his age. I love you know, it. When that spot happened, that's when he cringed the most because he's had a cut on his finger. Yeah. He's had salt and vinegar chips. And that's when he goes, oh, my God, that's got to hurt. And it was not that you took a backdrop on thumbtack board. It was the fact that you got salt and vinegar chips chips run it uh, rubbed all over your back as you're sitting on the top row yeah it's it's that it's communicable pain i guess and suffering and doing that one hurt really bad i'll be honest that's the worst <laughs> thing i've ever felt in my whole life that wasn't there wasn't any acting when i was screaming during that one my god horrible well, hold on one second i got one more question i'm sorry okay. no no you're good i'm not going anywhere You've been in the ring with some tough sons of bitches. I mean, you, you mentioned Nick Gage, who's died. You mentioned G. Raver, who basically died. Um, there's so many more. There's countless others. Uh, you don't have to name names. Who's the most, who's the toughest? And who's the one that you're in there where you're like, fuck, this could, I'm actually legit nervous. Uh, Matt Justice is the toughest man I've ever met in my whole life. He, uh, a lot of people don't know he worked at WWE developmental for a while. I mean, the guy's been in the game for 15 or so years. And nowadays in GCW as a tag champion with Mance Warner, he's doing a lot of hardcore shit that isn't really tag team wrestling by some people's standards, but the man really understands wrestling. And he's like a philosopher, like no other he's crazy tough, but I want to highlight who I was the most scared to be across the ring from, which was homicide. Um, oh scariest thing of my life man and you know brett from gcw called me the day before this we're doing this 24-hour wrestling stream man and the show's gonna go all night and cards had to change we had to have people COVID tested and we had to have people do the right thing we had to have people in and out of the building and last second he said hey can you do a, a, a show on the midnight match too i said yeah man i'll do a show on the midnight match it's not a problem i was all right and then i got to the building and he goes hey you've got homicide at midnight so he didn't give me any warning he didn't give me any let no and man, homicide is dead serious about everything. And it was, uh, it was an honor, but I don't know. I don't know if I'll do it again. That's a, it was scary as, as anything. And Nick Gage is scary. Uh, but I, I don't, I can't read homicide. You know what I mean? I've, I've been in the ring several times with homicide and, uh, actually, man, I don't, I don't even want it. So he gave me the cop killer, gringo killer, yeah. whatever. And it was on, uh, Man, I, I couldn't, I, I actually, it was the first time I actually couldn't sit up. Like I couldn't flex my stomach to, to do a sit up. Like I had to be carried out at, uh, yeah, that, yeah, that he was, doesn't set you down on that one. No, you don't see, you don't set you down. So it uh, is a driver. I, I not it, all of the things called drivers are drivers, but that's a driver. It, it was, it was a folder. So, uh, yeah, I, I kind of, uh, you know, I've been in the ring several times with them. That was the first time I, I took it and I said, you know what? He's been really good with me all the other times. Uh, yeah, we'll do it. Ah, bad mistake on my part because I'm not. I'm like, nope, never again. Never again. Yeah, he was also a guy who said he said, "Hey, man, I'm 44 years old and I'm gonna blow you up, bro." And then I got to the back and he goes, "Did I blow you up, bro?" I go, "Yeah." And he goes, "I told you, bro." And it wasn't mean or spiteful. It was just like he knew and he yeah. did. Oh yeah, no, he can go definitely. Oh, he can go. F.A., where, where can people find you? You have your, as you said at the beginning of the show, your fingers in so many different pies. Th tell, tell people where some of these fingers and pies are. Yeah, uh, everything you're going to find is under the name F.E. Lives. 
L-I-V-E-S, E-F-F-Y-L-I-V-E-S, Effie Lives. It used to be Kill Effie, but they couldn't. So now I live. Uh, EffieLives.com if you want to book me. Uh, Effie Lives on Twitter, on Twitch, on Instagram. Uh, I also have a pro wrestling tea store. But also, the big put over right now is Wrestling is Gay just went live. This weekend, we dropped a bunch for the uh, Big Gay Brunch in Chicago. But now Wrestling is .gay is the website. And being the businessman I am, I also bought football is .gay and sports are .gay and it goes to the website too. The money, proceeds, profits goes to help lost and found youth in Atlanta. They're a uh, LGBTQ. Well, they do job training. They do housing. They do clothing. They do all kinds of stuff, like in- incredible amounts of stuff. And hopefully we're able to keep putting stuff into it. I know with the Big Gay Brunch this weekend, we're throwing some stuff to the Chicago Brave Space Alliance. So Hey, we're we're making it happen. It's Effie lives. I'm glad we got to talk, guys. This was so much fun. Yeah, I want to. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm gonna be ordering my wrestling is gay T-shirt. I this. love it. We've got the strawberry tie dye right now. I mean, I know you're a black shirt guy, but if you're feeling strawberry, it's you know what? Wild. I'm gonna pass on the fucking strawberry. <laughs> I'm gonna go, you know, black T-shirt, white print, because that's just my jam. But uh, I, I got to have one of those. I think that's so fucking funny and cool. And I know in my neighborhood, it's just, it's good. I, I'm going to be so yeah. much. I, uh, I appreciate be people being willing to have bold conversations because I, if you forget you're wearing the shirt, someone will remind you. There's a lot of bold conversations to be had when you're wearing a shirt like this. Well, you know, the, the funny part I was thinking about is like, how am I going to explain this to somebody if I'm just randomly rocking the street or just forget I have it on? You know, yeah. go out yeah. <laughs> You know, somebody's just kind of looking at me like thinking I'm like, maybe, they, you know, they take it the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I, hopefully it's cutesy enough that it doesn't look that aggressively wrong. But think about think about that guy. Think about the guy who uh, negatively wears that shirt out so proudly. Like, you know what? I, I hate Hulk Hogan so much. And that stupid fake bull crap. I'm going to tell everyone I meet today that it's gay. I'm going to, I'm going to piss off the large growing gay community. That's becoming more accepted. I'm going to piss off the pro wrestling fans who are happy seeing punks back. I'm going to have everybody on my back and I'm going to be mean about it. So what I've found is it's, it's a fascination. Uh, There hasn't been a lot of negativity. I did have one guy. He goes, how do you advertise gay wrestling? He said, I did TV ads for years. How do you advertise gay wrestling? And I was a little quippy and I said, well, you just tell them they're allowed to come there and not be treated like shit. And they pretty much show up. And it's exciting that it's becoming an advertisable thing to have our shows open to everyone, have the people here. It's It's been a, a really fun ride so far. Right Effie, thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight. We were super excited when we found out you were coming on. And uh, we don't say this a lot, but we definitely want to have you back on. I, I think there'll be plenty to talk about, you know, oh, yeah. we've, we've got a lot coming in the future and uh, I'm sure you guys will be up to some stuff too, that we can always delve into. For sure. Guys, thank you so much for checking out this week's wrestling perspective. Almost like Effie, just wrestling perspective everywhere you go, rate, subscribe, comment, tell a friend uh, this podcast is gay. And yep. wrestling you. perspective is gay. Yep. I uh, love it. It's I'm, awesome. Okay, so I'm, gay. The best I'm gay. gay now. We all are. Let's join it up. That's right. Thank you so much. Thank you.